Cheers. Cheers. We have our famous, well, it's famous to us, McBrick drinking here mm-hmm. in our McBrick cups. Little uh, a little cocktail celebration going to Memorial Day weekend. Yes, indeed. I think it's I think it's only right. I think we have all earned it. Tommy and John, thank you so much. Yes, for all thank the, uh, you. Amazing production work you guys yeah, do. Yeah, cheers. Listening us blubber on for hours on end. <laughs> so the great thing is, we just get to jump right back into it. We didn't have to do much prep work because we have seven. Seven tips left from last week. So anybody who's not familiar with last week's episode, we are talking. I surprised Mick. Mick had no, Mick, you, had no idea um, what was to come in the episode. And I came up with 17 tips along the way for entrepreneurs starting a business. And I wanted to go back and revisit them as we talked about. And... See if A, I still agreed with them, and B, what your thoughts were. And I think they're really valuable tips because these are all retrospect of what I learned. Um, But also, some of them I disagree with or my philosophy has evolved. So I I thought it was really cool to go back and forth over them and maybe valuable insight. So we got through 10, and we have seven seven more to go. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to hop right back in to number 11. Number 11... Tips for entrepreneurs. Square that up. Yes, sir. There you go. I'm, I want I want the audience to hear your brilliance. Yes, sir. They can if you're not on literal. Points. Let me let me get let me get ready for this. Okay, number eleven. Keep business and personal affairs separate is an outdated philosophy. My strongest partnerships are intimate and extend far beyond work. Shoot. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think uh, I watched my father who was quite the master. He had incredibly deep relationships. It wasn't until I got to be older that I realized that, you know, the Mr. Smiths and Mr. Jones, the people they hung out with were the purchasing person from or the, the director of engineering of or whoever his particular target audiences were. And we were at their daughter's wedding. I mean, that's that was the depth. There wasn't every single customer. And I think, you know, certain people are more into it or uh, or want to make that time than others. And I think it's very similar to, you know, the laws of attraction that you would find anywhere. It just happens that you got connected through business. But, you know, if there's things that you share and, and you likely have certain things in common just by virtue of being in the same industry or whatever you connect on from a business perspective, that's a great start. And then if there happens to be other things you connect on, you have kids that are the same age or you have... Uh, interests outside that are similar. My father used golf to connect quite a bit. That was something where a lot of his relationships inside business, they took to the golf course and spent time on the golf course together. That was a big driver. That was where I met a lot of them too. I was generally caddying or running around the cart or whatever I was doing at seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven 10, 11 years old. And generally, he took those business relationships and they played golf together or he invited their wives into the mix and my mom, who worked for the business, too. And it just became, uh, you know, one big thing. There wasn't a separation or a work this and a personal that. There was that work-life synergy, harmony that we talk about a lot. And he just invited his customers in the same way we do. I think it's changed. I don't – it seemed to be deeper than – than it is now. And and certainly a lot of the rules and requirements, if you will, of big companies have changed. I mean, some of that stuff is just frowned upon because, you know, people make dumb decisions along the way, whether that was kickbacks or whatever that was that had big companies, um, government, uh, 
organizations, subcontractors of government organizations, publicly traded companies say, whoa, 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 I'm not sure this is in the best interest of the rest of our shareholders or stakeholders. But no, I, I, I think, God, what a great way to do it. If, if you could spend time with people that you enjoy and it happens to be part of work, I think that's as good as it gets. That's uh, that, that's great. Why, why would you ever want to have to have a this or a that? I mean, I think humans in general want it all. And if you can mix it all together and have it be incredibly successful. And I think it comes back to the alignment, though, that we talked about, right? I mean, you're not just because you work with somebody doesn't mean you're going to connect to me like, oh, my God, let's hang out Saturday or whatever that would be. But no, gosh, I think if you can, the tighter you can keep all of that, it just it just makes it easier. And, and uh, man, there's nothing wrong with easy in spots. I agree, but playing devil's advocate, a lot of what I heard and was told as advice when I was starting my business is make sure you keep your personal and your work separate, right? Don't don't have those intimate relationships, um, whether it's a friendship or, or family, Keep them separate. Keep emotions out. Business is business. And I heard that a lot. And Do you remember from where? Just out of curiosity. I mean, I love these. It, we, you know, a lot of times we talk about, well, the saying is, and it's always like, well, let's drill down on who had that saying. Is because their brother ran off with all the money and embezzled? I mean, then they'd be like, no, don't do brother stuff. I'd be curious to know where that comes from or what particular experience would have someone make a statement like that. And and I'd No, I, I, I don't recall. I can't pinpoint. But it was a lot of different people. And I remember it being from... Um, like all generations, um, all different kind of companies. It wasn't. It wasn't like okay, this this specific group of people is is giving that advice. Like I just remember hearing it a lot and thinking I just can't subscribe to that because I feel the same so strongly. Like I've got to connect with the people I'm working with. Again, I'll do business with people that are just great to do business with, and we don't have to be best friends. But the ones that are, it's so much better. Sure. Like and that again, that's how I built my business on just people I trusted so much. The first. The first uh, contracts that, well, you know, with with uh, our friend Mike McDevitt, the first uh, contracts I had, and they were they were just on a handshake, and he knew he could find someone better to do that work. He absolutely knew, because I was just starting. But he trusted me so much, and I trusted him that we had a handshake, we had no contracts, and just that loyalty to me, then that set the tone for everything else I did moving forward. Mm-hmm. And now, obviously, as we've gotten bigger and there's so much more at risk, we've got to do con- contracts and all of that, and, and we've lost, I've lost that ability to just do a handshake and, and put my trust in the trust. But it, it was interesting because I just found the opposite of what I was told, so... I don't know. That that's our experience. Maybe people w- would have a great argument otherwise, and have have seen different things. But yeah, and I think you learn. It's what's really interesting is when something changes about that relationship, and then you realize who you're still in contact with. So Mike McDevitt still in contact with, even though you don't even get into the general contracting piece anymore. Still still on speed dial as needed. Still back and forth talking about ideas, business ventures. Um, you know, working with a lot of public trade, publicly traded companies or bigger companies, you know, people come and go, you know, the, the organizations change. You have people that you love working with that leave, either they leave on their own or the organization changes and, and they get jettisoned and you're still talking to them. I got up, I saw, I missed a call from, from one of those very types of people today that we still just talk. I mean, we're, we're not on each other's regular business grid for the moment, but we will be. I mean, the second he's back in, in that space. For, and I also know regardless of where it is in the country, we'll be reconnected in that regard. So I think an interesting indicator is when that situation changes and you're no longer 
connected by business, even if it's momentarily, and they're still in your office, mm-hmm. in your in your life, then you, then you know you were doing something that was right. And and the alignment is just there, and the attraction's there, and, and business just happened to fit in too, which is great. That was the connector, not the reason for the connection. Yeah. One interesting thing, and it's just an offshoot, last offshoot for this point, the one thing I learned that Mike taught me so early on, he was just a, a great example and still is. So here's a guy that has, he's been the CEO of some big companies. He has like, he's just such an entrepreneur, has so many things going on at all times. But he has the same group of people that he brings from company to company to company. So if you look at one of his companies, you know, whether it was in the, um, you know, cannabis business or whether it was in the food delivery business or law firm, all these things he does he always has the same group of people and why because he realized very early on it was more about having the trust in a group of people more so than the skill set are they all talented people absolutely but every single one of those people has his back and vice versa and they've been able to create a multitude of companies together I mean it's amazing mm-hmm. and he brought me in as one of those trusted people and he'll just go from project to project with you and drag you along or like invite yep. you in whatever whatever it is but that was such a great lesson yeah. and I think he she just does it immaculately sure totally agree yeah I think it's and people that are in business if in, if you do get to make the choices and I I would absolutely love I mean I I'd would love it if, if all of our customers were really close friends. There's it, there's bandwidth limitations to it, but I, mean, I could name 20 right now that are super close that even to the point where we're in a pinch or a pickle, if I called them, they'd answer and come and help. I mean, that's how close you can get in spots if you're, if you're doing good work together. Is immaculately a word? I think it's the adverb version of immaculate, yeah. And anything, can you put an L, you can put an, check that. Immacu- you put an L, Y on it, anything you want. Because <laughs> I, I, I'm going to look back at that and be like, oh. You know my feel, but you know I feel about grammar. I know, I Yeah, I might have snuck an L, Y onto something that's not. Sounds, I often think. How about adjectivable? Well, no. Like that word? Well, can't you, here, here's my true belief. I do think that you can create words that are not. In the, in the dictionary that people will generally understand. So even if immaculately is not a word, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what I'm talking about. So I think that I think everyone has the freedom. You guys working on a fact check yet? I, I think every <laughs> everybody has the freedom to create words. And like you can put ly or even there's some words that just sound a certain way. They don't really mean that, but they sound a certain way. And I'm pretty sure that if I said it, everybody at least in this room would be thinking it means that thing. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, Merriam-Webster yeah. may s- strongly disagree. I'd oh. tend to side with he, him. Of course it's a him. It's an old book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hopping to number 12. Number 12. Stop focusing on, on outsourcing and delegating. You're a startup. Do it yourself. Learn it all. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, early on, I, I think we've talked about this before, right? You've, you've talked about entrepreneurs who you listen to on other podcasts. Now, granted, they're on the podcast because they made it, that their way or whatever choices that they made worked. Mm-hmm. They wouldn't be interviewing that person from their cardboard box, you know, living somewhere else. So I think that's, yeah, a, to a point, and I'm, I'm sure... John Marshall over here laughing at me right now, to a point, like if I could go back and I don't know that I would be as deep in certain things, but it's hard for me to figure out, you know, when you start 
in a business when you're 13 because you get a C plus in math. Like, I don't necessarily know what I learned at 13 versus 14 versus 19 versus whatever. I know that by virtue of being around here for 40 years, there's nuggets of all kinds of stuff. I would say that um, there's certain things you you should know on your own. You know, you don't, and you, there's certain things you can't outsource, right? I mean, your business or your core, you've got to be an expert at your core, but certainly some of the things on the fringe that I learned. There's also things I learned the hard way. You know, we, uh, we uh, headed off a cyber attack at the pass this week. I would love to not know about cyber attacks because it means I wouldn't have experienced one. So there's any number of things along the way. You're like, well, how do you have that knowledge? And you're thinking, well, because it was done to me. Mm -hmm. I got ripped in or dragged into uh, the Teamsters Union trying to organize our transportation group. Why do you know about that? It wasn't because I studied it. It's because it happened to us. And, you know, we went into mental warfare to try to get ourselves out of that situation. But I would be more than happy to never know anything about National Labor Relations Board negotiations. Be like, what do you know about that? I wish I never knew anything mm-hmm. about it. So some of that stuff, you just get pulled in, and if it's if the threat level is high enough, like that, like cyber, like whatever, then you have to become an expert. And you can, and I'm calling people in from the other side too. I mean, we have a, a labor attorney or a, whoever those trusted advisors would be. But man, in in the moment. Like you are, you are battening down the hatches as fast as you can, and you, some of that stuff you just have to to learn or know. Some other things along the way that I, I I probably know more about than I would like to, and given the opportunity, if I were if I were starting later in life or, you know, wasn't sweeping floors at thirteen because of a C, um, maybe I would have passed on or moved on from those a little faster. But I think at least as long as my duration has been here, it's hard to disseminate when I actually got the knowledge. So I don't get the option of walking it back or saying, ah, I should have moved on from that. And and then you throw in some of the traumatic events that make you an expert because you don't have a choice. You really can't get past those either. You just, you have to learn on the fly because survival in some of those situations like cyber attacks, your survival could be, could be at risk and, and you have to respond with that type of speed. Yeah. And, and I was, you know, I wrote these specifically for really startups and starting entrepreneurs and I was writing it. I probably wrote these a year or two in. So it it was really about startups. And I remember just thinking when I am so overwhelmed, like when can I outsource some of this bullshit that I thought was, Mm -hmm. and I couldn't because I didn't have the cash too, but there are some that do have the cash, you know, and they can outsource. And I just say, don't as long as you can do it even even to the point where it just feels overwhelming do it right. because now i i know every single part of my business it was the best thing i ever did and not I, i've talked about this on a, on another podcast but the second you sort outsourcing stuff you know, if you bring consultants in, they're giving the same advice to a lot of other companies. So all of a sudden, any you know anything original is no longer original. It's right. they're so, and I think there's something to be said for thinking for yourself, getting creative inside your business, doing things that no one else is doing. And the second you start outsourcing, you do lose that. Yeah, and I think part of this, you know, part of the goal of our, our podcast is to just have these conversations and hope that people are listening that are in those spots. I think one interesting cutover might be the word opportunity cost, right? So if when you get to the point that you doing this or continuing that particular activity is hurting the growth of the business, 
because you're not doing that, right? Opportunity cost is what it's costing you by doing this versus versus that. So in that moment, if you know you're to the point where you look at it, and maybe you're still doing heavy duty accounting, like pick something that's not our superpower. It's certainly not my superpower. Where if I'm still doing accounting and the cost of me doing accounting is starting to cut into growth or whatever the things that I'm really good at are, maybe that's a reasonable cutover point. I didn't stop to think about it until this exact second. But if you're trying to come up with, all right, well, you know, when do I flip the switch? And that becomes okay, if you will, right? To say, you know what, I know enough about accounting. Because um, the other thing you have to do is relate to something like accounting you have to make sure that your dollars are where they're supposed to be. So without some type of knowledge, how would you know if your dollars are where they're supposed to be? But you know, once you have that type of knowledge and it's keeping you from doing what you're great at, maybe that's a reasonable cutover point. Absolutely. And as, as I told you, I made these very black and white. I, I When I write on social media, it is to be a bit polarizing. So I don't leave any gray area. Right. There's always, there is exceptions once you get past a certain point, of course. This is more on the startup side side of things. But, you know, I'm actually there now and it's almost seven years in where I'm becoming a bottleneck in a lot of things and I realize it. So that's now I'm just getting to the point where full delegation is starting to happen, but I'm still a part of every accounting, every meeting with our CPA. Like I'm still a part of the meetings where I'm hoping to be, okay, this is full delegation. I'm not there, not even close. Did you want to hear an interesting one from this morning in our executive meeting? We haven't had a chance to talk about this. It was five hours ago. So the question, you know, we, we, there's any number of meeting formats we have where we start with a question. The question this morning was, and this was the first time I've seen this from, from one of my directs and, and teammates split the question up between me and the rest of the room. And the question for the rest of the room was... And these are your execs. These are my, yeah, my five directs. And the question was, what would you do in the next week that would allow Mick to work more on the business than in the business? And and the answers were fascinating. And I, you know, and I knew what they were. We know the questions before we go in. I had to, I had to determine who the funniest people in the company were. That's the softballs they give me. But, you know, and I, I had pen in hand waiting anxiously to write down the answers that came back. And there was one that was really simple and it was chain of command. What, you know, would be, well, when you, when you really feel like answering that question, don't, right? Figure out oh who, figure out Speaks who in your group owns that ultimately and push it down through them. And I thought, well, what well, if they don't answer quick enough for your liking? You know, then, then, uh, then, then I probably would, I, I should be at least. So I said, and laughing, I said, well, maybe I should call it train of command, not chain of command, because there's likely training opportunities. This one in particular was silly, meaning I should not have been involved in it, silly, where something came over, our ERP system shoots out all kinds of stuff, and I saw a description that was off. And the right play would have been to push it down through my VP of sales, and who would have gone to the proper channel and said, let's do a better job of writing these and here's why it matters. And I could have used that as a training opportunity, but instead I just replied to the group. I was on an airplane, I was moving high speed, but I need to be more intentional about saying, wait a minute, to answer your question, you know, if I had gone through the proper channel or chain and I didn't think the answer was fast enough, then I probably would get the person on the side and say, maybe a little more urgency would be appropriate there or something like that. But that wouldn't have been one of those moments and I wouldn't have known anyway because I just would have pushed it pushed it to the proper um, 
portion of the business and then had all the trust in the world that it got executed. And that trust component, I think, is as important as anything. But you get there through demonstration, right? You watch your teammates do it over and over, and you're like, of course, I know that's done. Why would I ever spend one more second thinking about it? So that that might be something that uh, you know my team taught me this morning that could be of value, too, is that chain of command idea where you're trying to delegate. Well, the first thing would be, all right, well, who should really own this? And and how do I use this as a moment to train them? Because if I don't, they're never going to learn. And then I'm never actually going to be able to unbuckle from this particular task that happened. So that's a one that happened to us this morning, which was a really interesting um, conversation right up there with executive assistant. We can talk about that one later. Oh, yeah. That, that's very, uh, very, very, they call it EA and very common in the UK, I've learned. Everyone has an EA in the UK. And that's like, but the person they rely on that knows everything about them. It's really interesting. So could that chain of command idea work with where you are? Because I don't know that that's a size oh, it's of my biggest. Pro- it's my biggest challenge. I can't do it. I, I mean, I suck at it. I, I cannot wait. If I see it lingering and I know, I know who uh, should own it, and by the way, they have the right. They might be working on something else to take a second, but I, I just can't. I, I have to respond. Right. But I'm, I've, I'm getting better at it. At, at least I'm conscious of it now, um, and really working on it. But it's yeah. hard. It's really hard. Try that. Maybe that chain thing will, uh, will resonate. Certainly resonate with me. It reminds me of days of golf. Right. I would say my best golf instructors said things that my body could understand. You know, when you could articulate something about the golf swing, which has a thousand angles in it at any given time, my favorite or best teachers or coaches said things that my body can understand. That was a moment where the team said something that I can understand. Like, yes, that I get. I'm compelled to respond. Now take the extra second, take a breath, figure out the chain and execute through the appropriate mm-hmm, chain. Mm-hmm. So that's something I can do. That that act, that makes sense. Yeah. And I'm sure some people have said this similar to me a thousand times and for whatever reason, it just didn't make sense. So I think those are called epiphanies. Mm. I think I had an epiphany today. Mm. I, I like it. Adjective of that. Okay, let's move on to number 13. The longer you think about it, the more paralyzed you are going to get. Now, here's, here's what people love or hate. Just start messy. Ready, fire, aim. What do you think about that philosophy? Well, first thing I would say is I love how polarizing these questions are. And I and I know when you wrote them and, and they were in social. And I and none of this is about walking any of that back. I still think so many of these. And I've watched the responses when you post things like this. I watch the responses and some of them create those epiphany moments that I was just talking about. So they're they're super valuable. Uh, right up there is, yeah, shoot first, ask questions later. Yes, yeah. like this ready fire aim. I really thought it was pretty, pretty innocent, like whatever. That got so many comments about both disagreement and agreement. What would you say the line was? Heavier, heavier disagreement, uh, agreement, probably, or 50 50? It was 50 50 or swayed a little bit more on the side of disagreement. Okay. Yeah. I remember I was really fortunate. This was years and years ago. Baltimore used to have this day of of speakers. And this particular one that I went to was Barbara Bush and uh, Lou Holtz 
famous coach from from Notre Dame, but one of the but the one that I remember most and and will speak about is Norman Schwarzkopf. And you know, Norman Schwarzkopf would laugh about you know he's telling these stories about how they would have these hours long meetings and hours long meetings. And after a while, I'm just like, look, we have to make a choice here. Like we, we are, we've, we've talked about this enough. And I think, um, if you're going to do, um, uh, you know, reasonable research into something or you're, you're, you're going to, to, to do the discipline, that's fine. But his point was that so few of those decisions that they were talking about were actual battlefield decisions. I mean, even if they got it wrong, it wasn't going to wreck the ship or take out, you know, they weren't going to lose the battle. So I, I think as, you know, in that regard, ready, aim, fire. And you talk, you and I talked too, right? This idea of E uh, equals R times C, just the idea that as long as that you and your team are committed right becomes a little less important. Mm-hmm. So I think if you wrap it in that context, that ready, fire, aim piece is, you know, if you fire and you're a little off target, that as long as you have the commitment from your team, you can pivot and still get it right. So that, I could see why that might be like, oh my God, that would be terrifying to certain people, right? The fact that you wouldn't do all of this diligence, the due diligence component. I'm not sure that's what that says. And if you wrap it in the idea that you have a particular commitment level, then I think, if that's the opposite of sit around and overthink it, then then I'm a huge fan of that. I I truly believe the biggest, I mean, the biggest thing that holds people back is just the inability to execute or wh- why, why? I mean, who knows? It could be because you're scared, you're, whatever that reason is. There's so many people with wonderful ideas. The only difference between the people that do it and don't is just some type of fear to launch. That's yeah. it. I mean, that, that really is a differentiator. You could have somebody, if they could just launch, they would be light years ahead of the, the next best person who just did it. Yeah, well, and that's, for, that's the difference. For some, there will never be enough information in the world to actually make a choice. And, you drive and yourself insane. Yeah, and, and, if, and, if you're, and if you attempt to be an entrepreneur with that mindset or too much of that mindset, then certainly failure could be, could be in, the, in the offing for you. Yeah. Okay. Number 14. <laughs> There should be no crying in business. Glad I have great eyesight from a distance. That was pretty funny. (laughs) There should be no crying in business. Literally. Take it personal and you'll never make it. Now, here's the thing. There's a a large contingency contingency of women that have started actually being a little bit vocal about this particular thing recently. I would say recently, in the last couple of years, about it's important to show your emotions and you shouldn't have to hide that. And you know, that vulnerability piece that a lot of people are talking about. Mm-hmm. I, I still like, you're not going to see me cry in business. You're just not, I'm not going to do it. Um, but I, I think the general feeling and opinion about this has changed in the last few years. Yeah. I think the word that you hit on, and, and this is crying, but of course that's, it's, more than it's not just crying it's it's probably more about just bleeding open with emotions and you know it's not just crying you you get what it's it's an overall concept yeah i think uh representation well there's about a bazillion definitions of that word right does that mean whining and complaining Mm -hmm. too if that's part of it then i completely agree but you hit on the word vulnerability which i I think i love i love the idea that the world is more open to vulnerability Mm -hmm. i mean i grew up i've said this 20 times on this this podcast in a short period podcast (laughs) (laughs) how you want to start sharpening (laughs) be careful um 
Yeah, my father would be 102 if he were alive. So the idea of stiff upper lip, you know, beat it down, fight it down, not a not a fan of that. I I actually think that there's a huge component of the population that if you ask for help, they'll give it to you. They'll welcomely give it to you. And no part of that has anything to do with weakness or um, lack of capability or anything that that's negative that you might align with that emotion. So I love that part. I mean, if that... If that, uh, if that has anything to do with complaining or making excuses, if that's the, the direction that you're taking crying, then I do have a problem with that. I mean, I, complaining and, and that piece, um, that part I'm not a, not a fan of. But the vulnerability side, whatever that piece is, I'm a huge fan of. And, and, I, and I do see more of it. And we certainly, I know here at, at uh, Arnold Packaging, we encourage it. And we have a, you know, an emerging thought leaders group. And... I mean, I, one of the main things or, or one of the things I, I love about and think we are accomplishing is um, is creating that safe space. And I, I don't know, I just thought that the newer generations coming into the workforce, I think I just thought that was ingrained in them already. It's like, yeah, well, you know, my, my boomer dad was like, I'll give you something to cry about, you know, that whole mentality from the past. I think I just made the assumption incorrectly in spots or made up story that the newer generations are coming with that built into them. Some are, some aren't. Just like my generation, you know, the gen- all of them. Some are, some aren't. So it's great that we can create that space to say, yeah, of course, like you can say anything in here you want. And if the other 11 people in the room have something of value to contribute or share an experience, then... It, and that was the whole goal, right? I mean, God, don't do the hard stuff. Jesus, we, if we've already screwed it up once, then let us tell you about it so you can miss the pain and agony. And most important, time, the time that you lose when you're amidst of screwing it up, let us help you by not wasting that time. So, I mean, again, there's a, there's any number. I, again, you write the, the way you write these questions. Um, so That's why they're good to talk about. Yeah, yeah no, no. Yeah, there's there's any number of words in these questions. Like both of these, the word crying, depending on how you read that word, then if you're if you're talking about fart, you're like, no, I think vulnerability is good. And then if I'm over here going, if you're showing up to complain, you're not going to be around very long. So there's there's two ways you could read that one. I see separation in taking things personal and vulnerability. So I think like that transparency, as I, I talk about all the time, telling your story and talking and just being raw. There's no there's no power in your story. There's zero unless you're raw and vulnerable. And I just think that's the only way to connect with people. I really believe that. But then on the other side, you cannot take business personal. You can take it personal in that in the competitive, like, wow, that I really wanted to win that. Like oh, yeah. I, I need to get better. But you've really got to separate your personal feelings and your wins and your losses to be able to be, I mean, it's not sustainable otherwise. Yeah. So I look at those as two very separate things. Yeah, agree. All right, number 15. You will have to start selling your services or products before you're ready or even qualified to deliver. You better have the stomach for it. Yeah, 100% agree. Our, uh, our automation division was a fake it until you become it venture in spots. You know, that's that we were we were tons of terrible puns coming at all of you. I apologize. But we were absolutely building the plane while we were flying it. And and that was OK. Like that was that was that was fine. And and we were I felt like we were taking on the appropriate amount of risk and you know, we're coming out of a period of time in the organization with a lot of financial strength and we were able to make those types of investments. And 
we were fortunate enough to identify the people that we needed to make them go sooner than later. But yeah, absolutely. I mean, if, if you wait, I mean, if you wait for perfection, what does that even look like? And, and that would also be to assume that you know exactly perfectly or best what the course of that product, you said product, so maybe it's a product, maybe it's a service, service it doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. But It's a service or product. But you need to take, you need to be taking input from the world real time as you are developing that. And you'd be ready to take some hard feedback. We've talked about hard feedback in here. You'd be able to listen to that hard feedback. And that's where I think social channels and any number of things where you have good, well-intended people. I mean, dicks, there's haters and dicks everywhere. But if that's coming into your space, that may not be productive, but people that truly care or are interested and say, well, you might want to nudge it this way, or you might want to nudge it that way, or have you considered... Those are all great things along the way. And, and if you were so head down that you missed that input or you missed that type of feedback, then you would just be opening yourself up to failure too. I mean, I, I've heard someone along the way I was talking to, I was in a cargated plant a couple years ago and I was with the owner and he was telling me a story and he said, you know, someone asked me the other day, Mick, you know, what, what is this place going to be? What do you want this place to be? And he said, my simple answer was, it's going to be what the customers want it to be. You know, I'm going to listen to them. And they're going to have demands and I'm going to listen to where the market is underserved and we're going to pivot where appropriate. But, you know, a simple answer was it's going to be what the customers want it to be. And, and, you know, part of that is, is picking the appropriate time to start, but far before it's perfect. Like you need that market feedback to get it to where it, it, it probably should be and to get it aligned with the particular demand that's out there because you think, you know, but if no one ever shows up, right. I mean, there's lots of wonderful products that get, that get designed or, or built that never hit the street, right. They, they never see the light of day cause they were missing something. Now, would you say, you said fake it till you make it. Become it become it, make it. Is there any false representation or manipulation of the people you're working with? Well, that's a very tricky, um, listen, are there times where you might overextend or over embellish your capabilities to create some credibility? Yes. But I can tell you that while we didn't have the most experience yet, we had the talent. Like I, all of my, all of my statements, um, that, that had anything that sounded confident about them were based in the people that I knew were in the organization, right? Where, you know, our VP of automation is a Rensselaer educated biomechanical engineer. So had he done every single thing? No, actually he had done very few things. But when I was making a pitch or a presentation, my confidence came from my confidence in that team's ability to solve, invent in spots. So, um, you know, were we were we stretching in, in areas where we didn't necessarily have direct experience? Had we built that widget solution? No, but you know I was out there banking on and and even celebrating. Right when I'm telling stories, I even sounds celebratory when I'm pitching to a customer of what our team's capability and my confidence was. And then I will tell you in in retrospect the ones that we did win, and there were lots. We never let anybody down. We delivered exactly what we said we were going to, to or above the lever that we said we were going to do it. Level. Yes, level. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree. And one of the greatest lessons I had was when I was working with and for my uncle at the lumber company. And the good old legend, Lou Grasmick, would always pick up the phone. Actually, Lou Grasmick died seven years ago today yes, to the did. day. He did so much for Baltimore. And 
what an amazing guy. Yeah. Um, but he would pick up the phone and say, yep, I got, I got it coming to you tomorrow, or like tomorrow or Tuesday. Then he'd hang up the phone and be like, what the hell is that product? <laughs> he'd make us all run around and try to figure out, and we, he couldn't even pronounce it. Right. But he always delivered. And it, that so much of the mentality that I have, as you know, my my philosophy is just be scrappy. Yep. Like get so figure it out. And he, he did. So like he was scrappy and he would figure it out. Right. Now you could say, was he lying to the, you could spin it all kinds of ways. It's like, no, Lou just knew he'd figure it out. And he did. Yeah. And that was my first like direct observation in a corporate environment. I was like, and it made me laugh. <laughs> right. All this hysterical. corporate stuff he had built up because you thought you knew what went on behind the curtain. Yeah. And then he hung up the phone and said, what the hell's a lumber thing anyway? But, and then he <laughs> would put so much pressure on everybody else, like figure it out. And, and we would, you know, it, it was just that lesson. I was like, that's great. And it's fun too. Yeah. Like that chase. Um, but it's ultimately, there's a difference between fake it so you make it or, you know, fake it, but deliver. Right. It's, it's, they're two different things. Well, but, I was sitting in meetings with my dad, who Lou and my father, I think. Were I'm probably, sure they ran they together. Were, oh, they absolutely ran together. Yeah. And, and, I, and I would love to have been a fly on the wall of those mm. events. But we would have these conversations and I was very, I mean, he, he passed when I was 24. So I was young when we were talking about anything. And we'd be, you know, I'd be probably over grinding or over preparing. And he'd finally go, Mick, until we have an order, we don't have a problem. Yeah. Now get your ass out there and get me an order. And then when I did, it would look like Lou. Like, I got the order. Like, son of a bitch. I didn't think you'd That's ever right. get that yeah. order. All right. Now, then we were in figure it out mode. And, and just like Lou, he did, we did. But yeah, that was until we have an order, we don't have a problem. I heard that a number of times. And that, that never changes through every evolution of your business. Like, you know, we're going through it now or whether we're opening different product lines or getting di working with different distributors or like, you don't just have all this stuff the minute you create create this relationship it's like okay you get your first order and I'm like shit this isn't let's celebrate yeah 30 seconds and you're like oh shit and it's so but <laughs> then it's you so realize you have to deliver it's like, what i live for though like that is so exhilarating right. you're looking behind you're like oh that's right i'm a one i'm a one person show still it, yeah it's, it's so exhilarating and so stressful at the same yeah. time but that's like that's the beauty of business and that's that's so important for an entrepreneur like if you don't get adrenaline rushes out of that that's probably a telltale sign that like probably shouldn't be an entrepreneur because yeah. that is that is the or what your reaction is to that right it, you know kill adrenaline versus versus you know fear mm -hmm. fear fetal position yeah exactly I mean I think your reaction to those early on would be a pretty good indicator of where you might be headed or sometimes you know fear driver is different than fear fetal position right so I mean that fear is an amazing driver you know, having signed IDOTs, indemnified I, I deeds of trust, it. right? Where, yeah. hey, sign here, and if you're wrong, your family's going to be homeless. Well, that will certainly get you going that most you mornings. Going. Uh, yeah. yeah, so those are different ways to, to experience all that stuff. Okay. Number 16, expect to talk to the C-suite from the start. Confidence is an absolute requirement regardless of where you are in the process. And I really wrote that like from the beginning as a young business owner, expect to talk, walk into the C-suite. What do you think? Man, I know that uh, I wasn't, and even to this day in spots, we collectively are not that good um, at, at that top-down mentality, especially in the packaging side where... You can get comfortable selling box sealing tape to the shipping person. And that's not, I mean, that's just saying, you said C-suite, right? That's, that's just not where that is or what that is. And 
one thing, expect to talk to them. So it might not necessarily just to change. Let me change this a little bit. So it might not necessarily, you have to identify who the proper person is. It might be somebody in purchasing that's ultimately going to make that decision. But you should expect to, if you need to talk to whomever, CEO, executive, CFO, COO. Yeah, look, I, I agree. So I'm, I'll parse this out. I completely agree with what you're saying. I'm saying that as a young salesman, salesperson, you know, I started in the sales end of the business. Um, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I don't know that I necessarily felt worthy of, I think what you're talking about there is an attitude um, and a worthiness of being in or being able to have or hold a conversation in the corner office. Uh, I'm not sure that I felt that worthiness. I agree with everything you're saying. I'm telling you that in motion at 24, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, when I was taking or, or became responsible, I'm not sure I felt that worthiness. Did you do it though? Regard- so this, I didn't write this out because I only have so many characters that I can when I'm typing this stuff. But there's a difference between, because a lot of, I, you know, I still to this day, there are times I'm like, I don't know if I feel like I should be somewhere, but I sure should have learned how to act like I, I believe that. So yeah. there, there's a difference. And it, again, it kind of falls back into that, not fake it till you make it. I hate that. But you, sure. you know, like you, you, sometimes you just have to buck up and act like it. And you know, what's interesting, the more you do that, the more you start to believe it. Oh, 100%. Yeah, and absolutely. there is, no that's true. Sure. That's absolutely, put yourself in, in the uncomfortable position, act a certain way, and then all of a sudden you start to believe. And I feel like it follows in that cycle. Well, I think when you get there too, you realize that the corner office is just a square room full of humans, just like the lower right office and the lower left, whatever those offices are, that there's just a, a room full of humans. And if you're at Procter & Gamble, that's just a massive company with humans, but there's still humans in every single one of those slots. And you're right. I mean, when you get into those situations, and at some point you might even get your, you know, you might even get your, your fur up a little bit and go, Shit, I could have always been here. Like this is this isn't all that special. I think some of that is breaking the made up story of what the corner office mm-hmm. is and how smart. Look, we, we deal with some really big, really big customers and companies that are wildly successful. Man, when you crack down into the middle of it, it's not all that pretty either. I mean, they by by no means have it figured out or execute with anything that looks like perfection. They just happen to do it on a larger scale. That's mm-hmm. that's really all there is to it. That segments and and groups inside of our organization, despite being exponentially smaller, even operate better in a lot of situations. Oh, yeah. Part of that is is breaking that. Uh, you know, it's it's insert big company name here in our world of manufacturing, whether that's you know General Mills or General Motors or Kellogg's or Colgate, right? Or you just think there's this perfection that goes around this business, but man, in spots, it's just a collection of groups of people, and and they suck as much as we do in spots, and they're they're as good or better than we are in spots. And once you once you get your head into that, then then you're like, oh, of course I deserve to be here. Jesus, these are just people too. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's actually taken, and this was more on a personal, you as a person, as a human being, have the confidence to walk into every office. Yep. But on a, on a bigger scale, I can tell you, we are just, and me personally, just having the confidence to, we work with really big GCs. Some of these are multi-million, multi-billion dollar companies. And before, we got bullied. We just did, and mm-hmm. if we were we were thankful to have the job with them. That's that was our approach. Thank you so much for the job. Whatever you want. Now 
we definitely, if we don't agree with the terms of a contract or there's something that's unfair, I'm the first one. I have, it doesn't matter who it is, biggest contractor in the world, I will say something. Because I have realized that although we may be a small cog in the wheel, we are a critical cog in the wheel. Yeah. And, and that matters. Um, Never seen a wheel work without all the cogs. R- yeah. Right? And Which makes you as valuable as any other cog. It, it gives us some leverage for sure. Um, and, and it also... Since since I've I've adopted that mentality, and I think there it was probably a few years ago where that that evolution was starting to happen. All of a sudden, even though you're pushing back and things negotiations become a little bit harder because all of a sudden we're pushing and there are things we're demanding, the respect level actually goes up because mm-hmm. all of a sudden you know it's. I, I don't know why, you know, I, I don't know necessarily why that happens. Well, wait, um, there's, there's a component of it that you are pushing back is more effective because you've been in the game longer too. Right? Oh, I know more so and I know what I can right. push back on and sure. I know. But you also know how to push back, right? You do have that basis of knowledge sure. now that, that is more logical and, and is received differently than that audience that it might've been received on month one or month 100%. six, or that's a big piece of it too, right? It's, yeah, but we don't write that. This is all black and white. We don't, we don't write about all the, all why. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, that's why, I know. That's why we're talking about it because yeah. it would take way too much paper, but yeah. that's the other big point is because totally. you could say, well, if I had pushed back this on month one, would it have looked different? Yeah, you might have gotten laughed at because your basis of knowledge was stupid. And you might have even actually hurt your cred in that moment versus like, I'm just going to shut my mouth. I'm going to fulfill this order and I'm going to keep doing that for a while. And then if I see something, you might not have even recognized at that particular point. Oh, there are terrifying things I never recognized that we just went along with. Like anyone that's in construction knows the liquidated damages. Right. The the bomb. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. And that was just a lack of knowledge. Yeah, absolutely. So that does come with time. But I do think my point being, if you're starting a company and you're an entrepreneur, you have to have that confidence because people pick up on it and they will walk all over you if if they even sense that. Or if it hurts your cred, right? Or anything that would seem like an inability to deliver, that would be just as detrimental too. Yes, for sure. All right, last one here. Yeah. My favorite. I don't know how much there is to talk about this one, but... I mean, we just scream it and then and go, go to the weekend. <laughs> Get scrappy, stay scrappy. I'll just say something quick about this. I mean, one of the great things when we first got together and watching your business, which was in year three? Well, F- two? Year two. Five years ago. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, two. not a yeah, year and a half. Right. Year and a half. And one of my immediate takeaways was just watching how you battled for certain things. And I think we were at a particular point where, again, we're still a very small business, but you can get, you know, you can take things for granted in spots or maybe not step up as loud or as frequently. And there were just certain things where I look and go, man, like she's going toe to toe. And one of the things that I took away was, you know, despite your resources getting bigger, that doesn't mean that you should lose, that they should lose value. Just because I have more of them, they should be just as valuable as they were when you had fewer of them. And that was my takeaway when we talked about Scrappy or whatever. I was like, man, I need to look into certain parts of the business that I think have gotten away from us. I will tell you, twice we bought companies smaller than we were. And when I got into the books and was starting to do the diligence, I learned that they were better or had done a better job of negotiating certain things. We had mutual vendors. We were doing we were doing business with the same suppliers. They, despite being a tenth of our size, had negotiated better deals than we had despite having volume. Well, that's because those, re- those resources were far more yeah. important because they had fewer 
fewer of them. And that's that's that sentence or that statement means exactly that to me, what I just said to you. So the key is the stay scrappy for you guys. Correct. Um, and you're right. Like I have my team fight for a point, just one point. Uh, because that is so important. There, there are several different parts of this, but one, two, I think as you get larger, you can just pass up those really small deals. Well, guess what? The small deals that no one wants to do, those are the deals that your customer, it's like, oh shit, they went to bat for me and they got to this little bass order. And now there's that million dollar deal behind and they're remembering, like mm-hmm. you you did all this small little stuff for them. Right. Um, and then another, this, this just happened today, so it's clearly on my mind, not going to go into details, but got a call from a, another business owner, minority business. And I say that because they have a lot of the same experiences, going through a lot of the same certifications. They now have three different companies, um, just have done what I'm doing, but done it far better because they've been doing it for a lot longer time. And they're, so we had a conversation insight and they suggested we do some, make some pretty big moves. And I know in my head, I'm like, okay, nine out of 10 people that they talk to, that they even bring this to, and selfishly, you know, they said there's it, there's stuff in it for them too, mm-hmm. of course, but there's a lot of partnership opportunity and opportunity for uh, just us solo. Nine out of 10 business owners are going to put that phone down and be like, that's a great thought, but I can't even fathom doing that. We're doing great right now. And the first thing I thought about is, oh, we're going to do that. And I'm going to figure out how. And and I and it's that scrappy mentality because we're going to put the time and effort in and I'm not going to dismiss that because it is opportunity no matter how good we're doing right here. Mm-hmm. And that's the difference. And I always try to keep that in mind. And yes, yeah, it takes commitment and sacrifice and discipline. And it's going to be hard as hell. But that is the difference. And I, I just never want to lose that. And it's really important to have that penetrate your entire company and it starts from the top down. So if you do not demonstrate that day in and day out, you cannot expect the rest of your organization to. You can't. Totally agree. It's one of my favorites. Well then, is there anything else you would like to add? I don't think so. This has been great. I mean, these 17, the one takeaway for me is I think there's more of this to be done. I like hitting on these types of topics and, and, uh, I think you've, you put together 17 great ones. And I, my real hope is that people listening to this will pull away and be like, Oh, that's, that's where I am in my business right now. That's interesting. Or, or whatever that case would be like, no, this has been great. There's a lot of very interesting ideas. And I think, you know, if we were to come back in five years or 10 years and our lens and perspective is a little bit different, what do they mean then? I think that's the interesting part about this. List. Well, I did put 36 points together for my 36th birthday this year. Oh, good. Well, I look forward to that. <laughs> could have been worse. I could have put them together. Because that would take us five, <laughs> five episodes. Yeah. We'll let you do all the numbering. I think uh, our, our audience would prefer that. Well, last I tip. Mean, there's my hundred points of, yeah. No, last tip for somebody that's a... Uh, that's into marketing for their business or just just getting some views. One thing that I've noticed that goes over incredibly well when you're trying to get a post that hits a lot of people is is when it's like the 17 things I've learned when you have these bullet points of things you've learned. But the first sentence is something about like what I always do is how we went from zero dollars to forty-eight dollars in or forty-eight million dollars in six, seven years. Here's how I did it. And you just bullet point it. Like those types of just the one sentence bullet points how you did it. Right. Those posts just go off like fire. It's like a, it's like a sentence thumbnail. It's a sentence <laughs> thumbnail. That's your takeaway. And then just you're welcome for all that. Because and then the paragraphs people don't want to read. So there's just the 
I, I make sure I keep it to just one line. Not one of the sentences goes over one line. And it's just this magical, what's the right word? Not algorithm. <laughs> uh, uh, strategy. Yeah, strategy. That's good. Recipe. Like yes, recipe. recipe yeah. yeah. I love it. Well, as always. Well, let's go drink some more cocktails. Yeah. Happy Memorial Day. Cheers. Team. Best uh, best production team in the biz. Thank yeah, you so thanks much. Thanks for sticking around. All right, you guys. Gotta, you got to tap. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.